Well, welcome everyone to the Northboro Church of Christ YouTube channel. And once again, thank you for tuning in. We are in our series in the book of Exodus. And today we're going to be talking about Exodus chapter two. When God goes silent. Brother Vaughn talked about how it had been 400 years since anyone's heard from God. And 400 years in Egypt as slaves, Israel has been. And what we see in Exodus chapter 2 is we see faith. We see the faith of Moses' parents. We see faith in what they did, and that faith caused them to act. We also see fear in Moses. Moses was afraid of Pharaoh, and so he fled to Midian. And this is after he had murdered an Egyptian taskmaster because Moses saw him beating one of his brethren, one of the Hebrews. And so we see Moses trying to go ahead of God and, and do things on his own. And also in this chapter, the question is answered from what I can see, does God hear and see our cries? And I want to encourage us all to consider that. When God goes silent, does he still hear us? Does he still see? And maybe the question can be answered with, are we listening to God? Not so much as if he is listening to us, but are we listening to him? So if you would turn to Exodus chapter 2, and I'm just going to read a little bit of it. And we're going to see that God does hear and God does see us. And it's rather odd if you consider that we're describing God in human terms with ears and eyes to see. Um, but that's what we have in the scriptures. We have a, a human representation of God. That he has ears, he has eyes, he hears and he sees what's going on in our lives. And so may we as Christians be encouraged to know that God hasn't left us. He hasn't abandoned us. If we're feeling alone, if we're feeling discouraged, if we're feeling like our, our faith has been tested in some way, know that God is still active. He's still working. And we need to trust him. We need to believe. Walking by faith. So Exodus chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it over with tar and pitch. Then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. And here we have the story, the history of what Moses' parents did with him when he was a child. Now, in the context of what's going on in Egypt, there is a mandate for male infanticide. In other words, the Pharaoh has said to all of the uh, Hebrew boys who are born, they're to be tossed into the Nile. Because he sees that Israel is, is really gaining ground, he, and they're able to overwhelm the Egyptians if they got, to, got into a war with them. And so here we have this mandate, and here we have Moses' parents saying no to the mandate. How did they do that? 
how did they come to that conclusion that they were not going to abide? Now there's all there's all kinds of maternal and and and, and familial instincts there, right? I'm not going to just hand my child over to the Egyptians so that he can drown in the Nile. There, there's that going on, but the Hebrew writer tells us that in Hebrews chapter 11, that Moses's parents. Starting in verse 23, Hebrews eleven twenty-three. by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. By faith, they did that. By faith, Moses was hid for three months by his parents. You think about your faith today. Or whenever you're watching this, you think about your faith. Faith should move us to action. Faith moved Abraham to move. Faith moved Isaac. Faith moved Jacob to Egypt. And faith is now moving Moses' parents to take the action that they took. Now, I'm in no way contradicting what Brother Vaughn has said, and his sermon was good. Sometimes God wants us to wait. And that waiting is difficult. And Jochebed and Amram, they've waited, if you will, they've waited 400 years. Their ancestors before them waited, and their ancestors before them waited. And now they see Moses is special. And I don't know if they've put all the dots together and have timed out everything like Jeremiah did in the 70, 70 years of, or Daniel did in 70 years of captivity. I don't know if, if they had the mind to consider that maybe they're coming up on the end of the 400 years. And somebody's going to have to deliver them. But they did have faith. The Hebrew writer tells us that that's why they did what they did. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. There may come a time in this country where there are edicts and mandates made that prevent us as Christians from practicing our faith. If and when that time comes, brothers and sisters, are we going to be willing to practice our faith, to walk by faith? When those mandates contradict us doing that? And so if we are being tested right now, let's take up the challenge and take up the full armor of God and walk by the Spirit of God and overcome that test, pass the test. Because there may come a time when the tests get a lot harder. So Moses' parents acted on faith. And faith doesn't just leave us where we stand. Faith moves us to action. It may move us to prayer, which may move us to wait. But where was God in all this? No one's heard from him for 400 years. Now, I'm sure I'm, I'm pretty positive that the trust and the promises that God had given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were taught to, to hopefully to the next generations, right? 
And so there may have been some idea of this. This uh, exodus out of Egypt in the minds of those who were living at this time. Now we know it's going to be still some more time before Moses begins to lead Israel out of Egypt. But faith causes action. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. By faith we believe that the world was created by God. We weren't there. Has your faith in the Lord taken a hit? Has it been tested? And if you consider that, if you answered yes to that and you consider how it's been tested, what are some ways in which it has been? Has it been tested because of some material blessings? Maybe you've been deprived of some of those. Maybe we've had to reconsider what's priority. Maybe it's been tested in a sense of you've been persecuted to some degree. Maybe you stood up for your faith and you've gotten some backlash. How has your faith been tested, if it has, during this time? The question is, do you love your life more than you love Jesus? Jesus says, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. And whoever wishes to lose his life for my sake will find it. And so maybe there's that battle going on inside of you still. That you're still wrestling with you and your life being more important than Christ. And it's not to say that God doesn't value us and doesn't value our lives. He does. But our priority, our faith, isn't in this life, is it? I mean, eventually we're all headed towards the grave, to the grave. And so our value, our hope, our faith is placed in Christ. He's the one who's overcome the grave. And so our, if our faith is taken a hit or if our faith is being tested right now, brothers and sisters, know that there is a purpose. And Peter tells us what that purpose is in 1 Peter 1. I'm just going to start reading in verse 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Excuse me. Even though... So that, your, so that the proof of your faith, 
being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. There's a purpose for it. And it may not feel good. It may not produce the results that we may have in mind in our own minds and hearts, but is producing salvation. It's producing joy inexpressible and full of glory. Even though we cannot see him now, we believe in him though, don't we? Well, maybe you failed a test. You know what that's like, don't you? I know I do. Back to Exodus chapter 2. Moses grows up and he begins to see that his brethren, the Hebrews, are being mistreated. We don't know if Moses knew at this time that God was going to use him, but at least in his mind, we do know that in some way he had it in his mind that he was going to try and help. Notice what he does. Verse 11, Exodus 2, 11. Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up that he went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labors. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that. And when he saw there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Now that's the way to start out uh, an exodus from Egypt, isn't it? Kill one of them. And so Moses, he fails the test here. Moses in the beginning builds his house in the sand, if you will. He sees the mistreating of his brethren by this Egyptian taskmaster, and he decides the best course of action is to kill him and then try to hide him in the sand. He's gone ahead of God. Have you ever done that? Have you ever gone ahead of God and reaped some of the consequences of doing that? I'm sure you have. There's plenty of examples. And Moses, at this time, he's building his house, if you will, on the sand. And Jesus tells us that he compares a wise and foolish man in Matthew chapter 7. And this is how he describes building your house on the sand, starting in verse 24. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them. See, that's what faith is. Faith is action, acting on the principles and truths and commandments of Jesus Christ. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them. See, faith, faith is good. Faith is important, but faith needs to move us. 
Move us to action, move us to obedience, move us to cooperation with what God has told us to do, brothers and sisters. How is your faith? Does not act on them. Will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell. And brothers and sisters, you know the rest. And great, right? Great was what? We may fail a test. That does not mean we failed life. It does not mean we failed God. It means we failed a test. And there be there are some things that God is is trying to force you into. To, to grow and to nurture the faith that you do have. God is not against us. God, when he tests us, isn't trying to get us to fail. He's trying to help us to grow. We know that, right? But in the midst of those tests, sometimes it may feel like even God is against us. And Moses, Moses was building his ministry on the sand. In the beginning, but oh, what a man of faith he, he is and was. And it says that he ran the first time. Moses leaves the first time out of Egypt out of fear. And the second time he leaves, it's out of confidence in God. <laughs> it's funny, the transformation that takes place in Moses. And what did Moses have to do? Moses had... To wait. There were some things that he needed to learn. And in all actuality, when he leaves Egypt the first time here in Exodus 2, he's a fugitive. And we, it's, it's quite ironic to see that he wants justice. And in trying to obtain justice, he becomes unjust or unjust. And he flees. And then he goes and helps out. Jethro's daughters, because they're being picked on. Moses is a great example for us of someone who took his own path, learned the lesson, and obeyed God. And we still see him messing up, even in the future from here, don't we? His anger at times got the best of him. But he was a man of faith. So what are you building your house on? Have you been building your house or is your house built on the cornerstone, Jesus Christ? In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter talks about how we come to him as a living stone and we also are living stones being built up uh, a spiritual house for God so that we may offer spiritual sacrifices. And Christ is described as this chief cornerstone that was rejected by some. But to us, it's precious. It's priceless. The precious cornerstone of Christ. He is the reference point for our lives, right? He is that truth that we live by. He is the cornerstone by which every other aspect of the foundation is built off of.
So what is your house built on? Do you really believe that God is working even when he appears to us to be silent? It's an illustration for you. In college, I was asked to prepare a lesson to teach my speech class. We were to be graded on our creativity and ability to drive home a point in a memorable way. The title of my talk was The Law of the Pendulum. I spent 20 minutes carefully teaching the physical principle that governs a swinging pendulum. The law of the pendulum is a pendulum can never return to a point higher than the point from which it was released. Because of friction and gravity, when the pendulum returns, it will fall short of its original release point. Each time it swings, it makes less and less of an arc until finally it is at rest. This point of rest is called the state of equilibrium, where all forces acting on the pendulum are equal. I attached a three-foot string to a child's toy top and secured it to the top of the blackboard with a thumbtack. I pulled the top to one side and made a mark on the blackboard where I let it go. Each time it swung back, I made a new mark. It took less than a minute for the top to complete its swinging and come to rest. When I finished the demonstration, the markings on the blackboard proved my thesis. I then asked how many people in the room believed the law of the pendulum was true. All of my classmates raised their hands. So did the teacher. He started to walk to the front of the room thinking the class was over. In reality, it had just begun. Hanging from the steel ceiling beams in the middle of the room was a large, crude, but functional pendulum. 250 pounds of metal weights tied to four strands of 500-pound test parachute cord. So you can see what this student is, is setting up here. I invited the instruct instructor to climb up on the table and sit in a chair with the back of his head against the cement wall. Then I brought the 250 pounds of metal up to his nose, holding the huge pendulum just as a fraction of an inch, just a fraction of an inch from his face. I once again explained the law of the pendulum. He had applauded only mo moments before. If the law of the pendulum is true, then when I release this mass of metal, it will swing across the room and return short of the release point. Your nose will be in no danger. After that final restatement of this law, I looked him in the eye and asked, Sir, do you believe the law is true? There was a long pause. Huge beads of sweat formed on his upper lip, and then weakly he nodded and whispered, Yes. I released the pendulum. It made a swishing sound as it arched across the room. At the far end of its swing, it paused momentarily and started back. I never saw a man move so fast in my life. He literally dived from the table. Now, this is an example by Ken Davis that he gives of someone who says they believe, but then when, it, when the rubber hits the road, do they really believe? When their person may be confronted with a crisis or with danger, when your person may be confronted with it, do you really believe? Faith isn't just for when things are going easy, friends. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction 
of things not seen. I am absolutely convinced that Jesus Christ is returning someday. Aren't you? And so build your house on the rock. I pray that you would encourage me to build my house, my life, on the rock too. And Moses started out on shaky ground. But oh, what a man. What a man of faith he becomes. And so we see faith in Moses' parents. We see uh, faith being tested in Moses, and he fails. He recovers. And we see that sometimes, brothers in life, sisters in life, our faith can be tested too. It will be tested. We can expect it to be. But there is a purpose behind the testing, in the testing. And we see that Moses grew, didn't he? The first time he left, he was a um, fugitive and he was running out of fear. And when he came back and led, Egypt, led Israel out of Egypt the second time, it wasn't because he feared Pharaoh. He feared God. And he was obedient to what God was telling him to do in the face of someone who could take his life. Does God really hear and see us, though? 400 years, nothing but the promise. Had God forgotten? Had he just abandoned Israel in Egypt? Now, there's other scriptures that tell us, and I think it's actually Genesis chapter 12, when uh, the this was actually told to Abraham that Israel would be in Egypt. His descendants would be in Egypt, slaves 400 years. That there was a nation that had yet to complete its sin and its idolatry. And God was waiting on that nation. And that nation would be wiped out when Israel went into the promised land. And so God isn't just in control of Israel while they're in Egypt during this time of history, that God's in control of all of life. And he hadn't forgotten. No. And who knows if they've cried out before now. I imagine they did. But God wasn't deaf to their groanings, deaf to their complaining. And brothers and sisters, this is where faith comes in. Because God has made us promises too as Christians, hasn't he? The promise that he's made in 1 John 2, verse 25. And this is the promise that he has made, eternal life through Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, that promise is still intact. In Hebrews 13, 5, he promises that he will never leave us nor forsake us in the context of wanting to get rich. He says, no, no, don't worry about that. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And brothers and sisters, in the end, who are we going to be in the presence of? We're going to be in the presence of God. 
So if we are forsaken of all of our material blessings, even our life on this earth, God still has not forsaken us. You think about a children and parent relationship. (laughs) One of the best ways you can honor your parents is by respecting them and honoring them when they're not around, when they're not looking. Because that really speaks to how much you do honor them, doesn't it? It's, it's one thing to honor them when they're looking. It's one thing to listen and obey while they're looking. It's another thing to look, listen, and obey when they're not looking. You've heard the expression, while the cat's away, the mice will play, right? And there's parables that Jesus talks about in Luke chapter 12 that speak to us being good stewards. And we see the master gone, and so we behave however we desire but we know there's coming a time, or maybe we're neglectful of it, that the master is going to come back. And so for the Christian, it may seem that God is silent and God is not interacting in our daily lives. He is. But if it seems that way, still we honor him. What a great testimony to who God is and and who you believe God to be in you, uh, for you. Is God only worthy of honor and respect and, and glorification only when you feel and see him working? Or is God worthy all the time? God is worthy of my honor, my respect, all the time whether I can see him working or not. In Psalm 33, verse 18, but the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness. The eyes of the Lord are on you, brothers and sisters. Do you desire to be righteous? Do you you desire to live for the hope that he has, his loving kindness? In Psalm 34, 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. Brothers and sisters, God hears our cry. I mean, let's be honest. When's the last time we've cried? Out to God. You think that God doesn't hear that? Brothers and sisters, I encourage you, he does. He hears our cries. Proverbs 15.3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching evil and the good. So not only is God watching and hearing you as a Christian, as you live out, live in righteousness, but God sees it all, the good and the evil. In Hebrews 4, uh, Hebrews 4 chapter, verse 13. And there is no creature hidden for, from his sight for which, from whom which we have to do. God sees it all. So brother and sister, if you ever cried out to him, he hears you. 
And our faith may be tested in our crying out. But because our faith cannot rest on temporary things happening in our favor, we have to get a hold of this. There may life ebbs and flows, doesn't it? If you've lived long enough, you know this. And our faith cannot rest. We cannot put our faith in the temporary happenings of this life. If they work in our favor, favor, we're on God's side. If they don't, we wonder where he is. No. That's what Peter says. Even though you do not see him, you believe in him. And even though you do not see him now, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. So Moses gets married to Zipporah, has a child, and he waits. And at the end of Exodus chapter 2, we're told this, it says in verse 23, Now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died. And the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage. And they cried out, and their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. So God heard their groanings, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice of them. Brothers and sisters, that's true for you and me today. You think God doesn't notice you? You think God doesn't want to listen and hear? What I said in the beginning, I'll say again. Maybe it's not so much that God hasn't heard us. Maybe it's more of the fact that we haven't heard God. We need to be aware, brothers and sisters. We need to be like Moses' parents and act on faith. We need to be like Moses and recognize that our faith will be tested. And there may be times where we have to wait. But we should see growth. No longer motivated or frozen by fear, but by reverence for God. And our reverence for God helps us to move through the fear. To overcome the fear. And remember that God does hear. God took notice of them. It's not that God had a bad case of amnesia and forgot the covenant he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. No. Brothers and sisters, I pray that you are encouraged to cry out even more. And that you are encouraged to walk by faith. And to remember the the simple illustration of the law of the pendulum. Do Do you really believe that he listens? God bless you. May you be encouraged. I'm, I'm thankful for the church family I have in Northboro. I, I truly, genuinely am. I'm thankful for every one of you. And I pray that it's mutual. Please pray for my family and, and pray for the church as we move forward. Uh, we look forward to the small groups that will be starting soon in March.
I pray that you'll get involved in those. Uh, those will be virtual, so it's it's never been easier. And in the meantime, you take care of yourself, and we'd love to have you in person Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Northport Church of Christ. Take care.